We're going to look together this morning at Joshua chapter 1, and I want to begin by reading verse 9. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The Lord commissions Joshua to succeed Moses as the leader of God's people. And uh, his command in verse 2 is get ready to cross the river Jordan. I think the book is a relevant book at all times for God's people. It's a call to action. That hymn that we've just sung is a stirring hymn, isn't it? You begin to start marching as you, as you sing it. Uh, I've never been in the army and I don't really want to be in the army. Um, but we're all uh, serving the Lord in the great issues of this world and the, the extension of his kingdom. Uh, we're living in a culture and a civilization that is dying. Uh, we're seeing the decline of the Western world and uh, seeing the consequences of that every day. And uh, it seems so strong and yet it's so vulnerable. The Church of Jesus Christ, on the other hand, seems so weak and yet is so strong. And uh, we have been called to serve the Lord in our generation. And therefore these words, get ready, uh, are really important. Uh, in a sense they have some significance because we're, we're moving, we trust, past COVID and starting to get going again. Get ready. Um, but it, we're always to be ready. I was a Boy Scout, and the the motto was, be prepared. And uh, that's what really Joshua is being told, be prepared, because you're going to go in and take possession of the land. And this was a very important time in Israel's history. They were going to enter the promised land, the land that had been promised to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob. And now they were going to take possession of it, but it involved a conquest. There before them was the great city of Jericho, this great walled city. And they were coming as a people who'd spent 40 years in the wilderness, a great company with men, women, and children that they had to take places like Jericho and then conquer the land, distribute it amongst the people, and begin to settle and to establish their life in that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I was reading a Jewish commentator on this chapter, and he He described the beauty of the land, the lovely trees and flowers and and all the fruits and all the crops that came from it. This was the land that was there before them and now they were going to to go in and possess it. So it was a thrilling time and yet it was a time of great demand as well. There's a sense in which Joshua reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Old Testament taking possession of the land but the Lord sent his disciples out into all the world Uh, to make disciples of all nations. And so this book is full of lessons for us as God's people, not just personally, it is that, but also together as the people of God, as a company of God's people, uh, as he calls us to serve him in our day. It was a very significant time. Uh, The first words of the chapter remind us that, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Moses was a giant of a man. He had his frailties, as all God's servants do. But now he had died. He'd seen the land, the promised land, but he wasn't going to enter it because of his disobedience to God. And so he'd been buried in Moab, the other side of the Jordan. No one knew where he was buried. Uh, He'd lived to be 120 years old. 
And we're told, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. That may not be true of you and me. Um, but he, he lived and he spent the last 40 years of his life uh, leading the people of God out of Egypt and to the promised land. And there was 30 days of mourning by all the people uh, for Moses and weeping. And uh, now after that, Joshua is commissioned uh, to lead the people of God. You see, it reminds us that God raises up successive generations of his people. Moses served God in his day, but he could only do it in his day. We can only serve God in the time that he gives us. But afterwards, he will raise up others to take on the work. There have been those who go before us in the church here at Kaisalem. Um, but he calls each generation to face new challenges. The challenges that I faced when I began my ministry some years ago were different from the challenges we face as God's people today. Some of them are the same, but some of the details are significantly different. It is possible, isn't it, to live in the past, to reminisce about the past and to luxuriate in the remembrance of what happened. But Joshua is told he's not to do that. Uh, my servant Moses is dead. Now then, get ready. The work goes on. The challenges are there. Uh, in fact, Joshua had first entered the land 40 years before. He was now about 65 years old. But as a young man, he'd gone to spy out the land when the people rebelled against God and didn't go on and didn't believe him. And uh, then he'd been assistant to Moses, and now he was the one who was going to lead the conquest of the land. And Moses had prepared Joshua for this work, and he had shared leadership with him. That's really important. Uh, sometimes because leaders are very able, and Moses was very able, it's possible for everything to be done by them. Uh, with no thought about what happens afterwards. Uh, Moses, in fact, had appointed a number of people to share, many people to share in the uh, helping of judgments for the people, uh, the advice of his father-in-law Jethro. Uh, but particularly, he had uh, taken an interest in Joshua. And Joshua had come alongside this unique man, Moses. We're told that no prophet had arisen in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face, literally mouth to mouth. God revealed his purpose for his people to Moses. And he did miraculous signs and wonders in the time of the Passover as they came out of Egypt and then subsequently in the wilderness. Uh, and so even though Moses was so blessed and empowered by God and uh, had led the people in great victories against the various enemies that confronted them, he had in mind Joshua. And he prepared him uh, for what lay ahead. So, for instance, Joshua had spent time at the tent of meeting where Moses went to meet with God. One time we're told that he didn't leave that tent where the presence of God was revealed. He was a leader in his own tribe. That's why he was chosen to be one of the spies to go and spy out the land of Canaan. And uh, then Moses also shared leadership with Joshua. That's so important. It's a great mistake to carry on leading without any regard to those who are going to lead after us. And Moses hadn't done that. In fact, the Lord had said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man 
in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him and uh, take some of your authority and give it to him so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. And uh, so Joshua was filled with a spirit of wisdom. Moses had laid his hands on him. He passed some of the authority over. That's a, a thing which he sometimes struggled to do. Not just asking people to do things, but actually passing on some of our authority. And God had previously commissioned Joshua. We're told about it in Deuteronomy 31. And gave a very similar uh, commission that he gives him here again. As they prepare to enter the promised land, be strong and courageous. For you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath. And I myself will be with you. So he's been prepared. And yet there's a sense in which he waits. Moses has died. The people have grieved. And Joshua could have said immediately, well, let's get on with it now. Let's get into the land. But he waits for God to tell him in uh, what needs to be done. Uh, He's described as Moses' assistant or Moses' servant. And uh, over many years, he'd been happy to serve, to be alongside Moses, not not coveting Moses' authority. Uh, He was a man who was obedient to the Lord. He was one of those spies who, who when they went and spied out the land and ten brought a a bad report back and uh, said, oh no, the people are too great and the cities are walled and we, we will not be able to conquer them. Uh, he urged them to go forward. He said, only do, don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But he and Caleb were not listened to and the people rebelled and refused to go in 40 years before. But Joshua's not only a believer, but he, he wants to do what God tells him to do. Go in and possess the land. You've come to them many years before. I wonder if that's true for you and me. Uh, We know the Lord. We want to obey him. We want to do what he commands. In the New Testament, that was the essence of the Great Commission, wasn't it? As the risen Lord met with his disciples, he reminded them of the authority that he possessed. All authority in heaven on earth he had. Therefore, go, it's a command, and make disciples of all nations. That that includes St. Melons and the communities around, as well as the more distant parts of the world. Make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's the commission, that's the promise that comes to us as God's people. For we have a land to possess as well. There's a world to be won for Christ. How seriously do we take that? How much does that reflect our thinking as Christians and as a congregation? How much is it part of our thinking when we meet together in church meetings? I know one church that was greatly blessed in the north of England some some years ago. and, And every meeting, every meeting of the elders, every meeting of the church started with evangelism. That was the first item on the agenda. And uh, the Lord blessed them and honoured them in that time. And they saw many people coming to the Lord. Is, is that our focus? Is that our priority? There's a land to be taken. There's a world to be possessed. And we have the command of our Lord to do that. And we need to do it together. 
It's not just simply a question of attending meetings. It's sharing in a great commission. That's what comes to Joshua. He's commissioned to go and to take possession of the land. Do we feel that we've got a commission as individual Christians and as a congregation of God's people? And one of the things he's reminded about is that God's word, uh, the, the book of the law, as is described here, possibly particularly the book of Deuteronomy, but no doubt the first five books of the Bible, are to be his guide. Uh, they're not, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And he's to, to meditate. Uh, one of the other translations, to be constantly in the words, that he's a man who thinks God's thoughts about how the people are to keep themselves from other gods and uh, to love one another, to care for one another, to be kind to strangers amongst them too. And it was a sacred trust, and we have that word, and it's, it's a word to guide us in fulfilling the Great Commission. It's not a static thing. It's not just a matter of having our theology correct. We need our theology correct in order to step forward in confidence in serving the Lord and taking possession of the land. Now, if we feel uh, that obligation as individuals and as a church, then what God goes on to say to Joshua is relevant to us. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Get ready and go. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. How relevant those things are. Moses is dead. You're a new leader. And there's this great task, a task which the people have failed in the past. And you're going to lead them. And you can actually see the land now. You can see Jericho. And you can see its great walls. And you've heard from the spies 40 years before that they're, they're very big and strong people that you've got to overtake. Wouldn't it have been very easy to be intimidated? And I think if we're honest, we're intimidated. We're intimidated by the world. Reading this week of certain cases that have been uh, considered in the law courts of our land, Christians are consist consistently ruled against. There is no sympathy for us or for our saviour. And uh, people are indifferent. In some cases, they're hostile. And so this exhortation to be strong, to be firm, not to shake, and not just to be courageous, but to be very courageous, and not to be terrified, and not to be discouraged, is so relevant to us. You see, it's not relevant if we're, we're staying in Transjordan, the other side of the Jordan, and not going in to take the land. If we're not seeking to take the land, then perhaps it doesn't matter so much. But they're changing from a nomadic life into a settled life. And there's physical and spiritual danger. And I'm sure it's important for us to be strong, uh, to have that power to resist, to be tough in that sense, and to be firm and to be vigorous. Uh, before he ascended to heaven, Jesus said to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
they're going to have power from God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came and he dwells within us. And he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And we've been given weapons that are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. And so we need to be strong and to know that the Lord will enable us and to, be, to have great courage, to be brave, to be bold, even in the face of trials. Remember Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin uh, a short time after their own Lord had been condemned and crucified at the command of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin's question was intimidating. In whose, by what authority, in whose name have you healed this lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple? Who told you to do that? We didn't give you authority. And uh, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, has the most wonderful answer. That it's in the name of Jesus Christ whom you crucified, that this man stands before you well. And salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's the challenge to us, isn't it? To keep on proclaiming Jesus the only saviour and not to be afraid. Moses had been a man of courage. He'd made some difficult choices. He refused to be known as Pharaoh's son, but he was mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. And that's the cost, isn't it, sometimes? What will people think of us? What consequences will this have for my life if I take a stand for the Lord? And you know how you're weighing it up? But we need to be courageous and not to be afraid, not to be intimidated. Uh, in, the, in the Tuesday prayer meeting in, in recent months, we've been going through Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, the great heroes of the Old Testament... Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. These men whom God greatly used. And then the writer of the Hebrews says this. Whose weakness was turned to strength. And who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. That's the secret, isn't it? We are weak. Our, our assessment of our weakness is correct. But it's in the power that God gives us that we become strong. Not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom. We don't simply count how many people there are, but we, we so know we're strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. And so we're not to be afraid and we're not to be discouraged. Discouragement is, is one of the ways in which often we are undermined in our desire to serve the Lord. It, it reduces our confidence in him. It, our spirits are lowered. And people say, well, what's the point I've heard people sometimes in church meetings and other churches and we're planning to go out and do some sort of outreach and they say, well, we did that last year and nothing much came of it, did it? What they say, what the point? What's the point? But we need, we need to avoid discouragement. We need to encourage one another. We had that exhortation last Sunday evening, didn't we? And all the more as we see that day approaching to encourage one another. Come on, we're going to do it. And finding that encouragement in the Lord. Not to become weary in well-doing. And so persevering is essential in the life of the church, it's essential in the life of the Christian. And uh, Joshua will face many challenges. There'll be a great victory at Jericho, but that will be followed by a defeat, and a painful defeat. But he's to be strong and courageous, not to be terrified, 
not to be discouraged. And uh, so there's God's command, there's his exhortation, and then there's his lovely promise. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. What a wonderful promise that is, wherever the Lord takes you, he will give you his presence, he will be with you. That's the thing which the Canaanites and the people who lived in the land knew. They'd heard of what God had done through his people. And they trembled. We'll see that when we come to Rahab in chapter 2. That reputation. There is no God like the Lord our God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he says, I'm, it's a land... I am about to give to them. The Lord gives us the victory. And he gave victory to Joshua. And he prospered them. Uh, In verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. And do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. He's going to prosper them and bless them. And he's going to be with them. But he's going to be with them in a different way from the way he had been with them in the wilderness. There his presence was symbolized by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There wasn't a moment when the presence of God could not be seen in those tangible signs. That was what the people of other nations had heard about, that God was with them. But as they entered the land, there would no longer be that pillar of cloud or that pillar of fire. But the presence of the Lord would be just the same. And uh, it couldn't be seen, it wasn't visible, but it was very real. And because of that, he would give them the victory. I wonder sometimes how much we, we think about that promise that the Lord will be with us wherever we go. We pray, don't we, correctly, when we meet together to worship or to pray or to study God's word. We ask the Lord to be with us, but he's not just here, is he? Wherever he goes, wherever we go, he goes with us. Uh, When Becca went to Uganda, that was a lovely promise to her, wherever she went, a strange land. But the Lord would be there as he was here when Paula went to Brazil. A strange land, a strange place, a strange language. But the Lord would be with her there as he was here. That's the wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts. And Jesus promised again with that great commission. With the commission comes a promise. I am with you always. Surely I am with you to the very end of the age. You know, sometimes there are people whom we trust. And if we go into difficult situations, we might say to them, please, will you come with me? And if that person comes with you, you you feel reassured by their presence. Do we feel reassured by the presence of the Lord with us wherever we go, where we live, where we work, where we study, wherever we travel? He is with us. There isn't the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, but his presence is real. And it's wonderful. And it's a source of strength and encouragement. It's a sign of his approval. And we have fellowship with him. It's a sign of his protection. In Psalm 46, 
as the psalmist thinks about great upheavals in the world. Be still and know that I am God, he says. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, one of the modern translations translates the Lord Almighty, the Lord of heaven's armies, is with us. That's really what God is saying to Joshua. I'm going to be with you. This great God who's brought his people out of Egypt uh, and has foiled all the evil desires of Pharaoh, the one who's kept them through the wilderness, he's going to be with Joshua and the people as they go in to possess the land. And it's a promise of victory. In Romans 8 we're told, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do we have that confidence, personally and also together as God's people? So there's a command. Have I not commanded you? There's an exhortation. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified and do not be discouraged. And there's a promise. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. How did they respond? Well, they obeyed. Immediately Joshua ordered the officers of the people. And he said to them, get your supplies ready. And the tribes that had settled on the other side of Jordan, they sent their fighting men. And Joshua called the people to action. And their response in verse 16 was, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. I'll be with you wherever you go. We're ready to go at your command. And they encourage him, just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. A new leader, new generation. But they were following him as they had in the past. And so they're going into that land inhabited by hostile pagans. They're going in to possess it. They're going in believing the promise of God. And we need to have that same confidence, don't we? The people of the land are going to be dispossessed. And uh, Satan needs to be dispossessed. We need to pray that God will give us our land, our work, our people, uh, in the salvation of many who will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that the end to which we're praying? Is that the end to which we're working together as one people? Because there is a heaven to be won. Uh, Canaan is in a sense an anticipation of that heavenly country which one day all God's people will be in. And there are people now who do not know him, who need to come to know him. Our conquest is a gracious conquest. The people might come to know the Saviour and receive the gift of eternal life in him. And so we hear his command. We find strength in his encouragement. And we rejoice in the promise of his presence.